Good morning, everyone. Uh, please join me in prayer. Father, we do not know how to live in this world, much less the world to come. We're a broken people of unclean lips, desiring to be near you, yet harried and separated from you by sin. Yet you are gracious. You sent your Son to bring something new, for you're determined to heal and restore and to possess your creation. What you made, Yahweh, you will have back, including our very souls. We rest in that, and we thank you for it. We praise you for your love and goodness. Yet this world remains broken, and you've told us to bring our hurts and needs and wants to you, so we do. Send your Spirit to guide and speak for us as we pray, and as we worship you, and to translate our mumblings into heavenly voices. Take our broken prayers and transform them into something acceptable. Be present through your Spirit. Walk among us and give us peace. We pray for Covenant and our ministry staff, our pastors and our leaders, that you would sustain and provide for them as they do your work. Give our congregation hearts of gratitude and empathy as we consider their sacrifices to minister to us and cause us to pray for them. Be with the members of our long-range planning team as it begins its work today. Grant them wisdom and insight as they consider the affairs and future of your church. We pray for our supported missionaries as we've concluded the Global Missions Conference this week. Bless them with the resources needed to carry on your mission and grant them safety and peace as they return to their work to advance the gospel. Surround them with your loving kindness, Father, and bear them up and bind them up where they're in pain. We praise you for the birth of our covenant child, Cooper Carter, and take joy from proud parents Virginia and Lyles Carter, and grandparents Tookie and Keith Hazelrig and Molly and John Carter. Bless them with your presence and keep Cooper in your hand as he grows. We pray for your Holy Spirit to provoke our giving to faith promise that, there will be, that we will be faithful in our support of missions near and far. We pray for Tommy and Amanda Hutton Sanderson and the loss of his mom. Extend hope and the peace that surpasses all understanding. We continue to pray for Bill and Cindy Hay and lift them up to you. We praise you for their faithful care of our congregation for 40 years and ask that you bless them with your presence and peace as they face the challenges before them today. And we pray for Leanne Logan, that she will have a good recovery from her surgery. We come to you in Christ with all confidence that you hear and are already moving in response to our prayer. And it's his, in his name that we pray. Amen. It is indeed a rich privilege to be God's people. He gathers us into his presence and reminds us who he is and what he's done for us. He reminds us who we are and why we are here. He reminds us that we're living in his world. When we listen to God's voice, we remember that he tells us that he created us. He created this world. He made us in his image. He put us over his good creation, male and female, as a royal priesthood over all of his good things and all of his good creatures. When we listen to the story that God is telling us, he reminds us that the world is a broken place because humans, the upper management of the rest of his creation, we rebelled against him. And so every relationship is out of joint. 
and nothing's really the way it's supposed to be. But if we keep listening to the story that God himself is telling us, it's a redemption story, a story of redeeming love. God has in love sent his son to rescue us from sin and all of its consequences and brokenness. And one day the Lord Jesus Christ will come back and renew all things. The way God made things to be at the beginning, we will experience that in all of its perfection and glory and goodness and richness. Everything will be healed. That's the story that God is telling us in the scriptures. But there's some other stories uh, always at work trying to co-opt you and me, trying to capture our hearts. I mentioned that today because today we're going to listen to Jesus, our great and perfect teacher, teach us about marriage and divorce. And we're God's people. We, we want to hear God's word. We want to obey his voice. We want to walk in his ways. We trust him to give us the grace that he promises to give us to walk in his ways. But if we forget the big story that God is telling us, and not if, but when our hearts are captured by other stories, it'll make it really hard to hear what God says about things like marriage and divorce. Here's an example. If you believe what our culture is telling you and me every single day, that you and I exist for our own self-fulfillment. Life is essentially about your joy, your happiness, and your self-fulfillment. You're going to have a very hard time staying married because we live in a broken, fallen world. And guess what? If you've been married more than a little bit, you recognize that marriage doesn't always feed your happiness and self-fulfillment. As a matter of fact, because marriage in a fallen world is when a sinner gets in a really tight relationship with another sinner. Sometimes I describe that as uh, two porcupines in a phone booth, but that's an old analogy. We don't have phone booths anymore. (laughs) But sometimes that's just what marriage feels like. It's, It's two broken people in a very tight relationship they can't get out of. And if you believe that you exist for your own pleasure, your own happiness, and your own self-fulfillment, then here, even if you belong to God, hearing God's voice about marriage and divorce, it's going to have a lot of friction. It's going to be hard to hear the truth. Oh, Christy and I have been married almost 32 years, and our first five years of marriage were really, really hard. Uh, marriage is hard, uh, but the first five years were really hard. We weren't sure we'd make it. At the end of five years, we concluded that we were married, still married by the grace of God. And it, one of the problems was Christy didn't understand that she was my personal cheerleader and PR agent. What was wrong with her? <laughs> Why didn't she understand that she just existed to make me feel good about myself all the time and always tell me that I was right? What's, what's the problem? So we were both, me especially, very immature. But by the grace of God, we kept hearing what God was saying to us. He kept telling us who we were. He kept telling us what marriage is. He kept showing us how his design for me as a man and her as a woman lived, was lived out in something he created called marriage. And so today, Jesus, who is a great teacher, is going to give you and me super simple, down the middle, clear teaching about who we are and what marriage is. And we need to hear it. And it's just a rich privilege to be God's people, to get clear messages from God about who we are and, and what marriage means and what it means to be his people in marriage. Such a great gift. And if you recognize that you've been given a great gift and you're a sinner who needs grace and needs help, instead of concluding that when you know what the truth is, that, that we should then therefore go out and 
be unkind and ungracious to people who don't get it. If we hear God's simple and clear truth coming to us as broken and needy sinners, it will humble us and help us think about how we might relate to our neighbors and our family members and our friends who've been crushed by the rebellion and the brokenness of relationships in our world. So if you will, we're going to pick up and read Mark chapter 10, 1 through 12. We were in Mark 10, 1 before the missions festival. And then we had that amazing missions festival. If you missed it, go hear the recordings. And now we're back in Mark 10, 1 through 12. Uh, Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. Jesus, the son of God, who's fully human. He's come to rescue us and God's good creation from human rebellion. He's on the way to the cross and he'll teach you and me. Let's hear his voice. And he, Jesus, left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. All flesh is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, since you've summoned us, gathered us into your very presence, now we want to grow in your grace. Help us hear your word and give us confidence that your word and your ways are good and right and true and grant us an appropriate humility. Since we are sinful people who need your grace, need your truth, and need your help to live in light of your truths. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today in this passage where Jesus is super straightforward and clear, uh, we're gonna see uh, the generous gift of difference. God made us male and female. That's God's design, God's plan, not some uh, cultural uh, plan. Secondly, we're gonna see the profound gift of permanence. God puts a man and a woman in the marriage and it's for, for good. And then we're going to see the grief of stony hearts, how our hard-heartedness makes it really hard to receive what God has to say. And finally, the gift of hope. So let's dive in together. Uh, first of all, the generous gift of difference. Uh, so just remember the context. Uh, Jesus was teaching, the crowds were coming around him, and he was teaching like he did all the time. He taught all the time and all over the place. And that's in verse one. But in verse two, we're told that the Pharisees come up to Jesus and they ask him a question because they're so hot, soft hearted and curious. No, no, no. They want to put him 
to the test. And so they're asking him a question. They want to see what his position is on a significant matter. And their motive is to test him. I promise you, you can write this down as a Presbyterian prophecy. Uh, Self-righteous busybodies will come and test you. They'll want to make sure you have the right opinions, that you have the right take on things because they're too busy checking on everybody else to live a humble life. And so that's what's happening to Jesus. Super self-righteous busybodies want to make sure Jesus has the right view. And what they have in mind, they, they ask him, hey, hey, what's your position? What's your take on this divorce law, Jesus? And they have Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4 in mind. So keep that in mind. That's important background to our passage. And remember, God created Things made things the way they're supposed to be. Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And in a fallen world, Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4 is speaking into a fallen world where men were divorcing their wives. That was not God's plan. It wasn't a good thing. And Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4 is meant to restrict the damage done when men were doing something that God never intended them to do. So they come to Jesus like, hey, what's your position on divorce? And Jesus says, well, what did Moses command you and they say i don't want to talk about what he commanded i want to talk about what he allowed and they say well he he allowed a man to divorce his wife he would write her a certificate of divorce and then he could go and and be married again and so uh, what what they're referring to is a law where god is speaking into a very broken world and he knows that men's hearts are hard And he's restricting the evil, the damage that men can do when they're just letting go of their wives kind of on a whim. You can read that in Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. And so what Jesus does is he takes them back before Deuteronomy to the creation itself. And here's what I want you to see, the generous gift of difference. And it comes right out of the passage. Uh, Jesus responds to their reference to Deuteronomy 24. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this command, verse six, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Isn't that refreshingly simple and clear? Male and female is not a social construct. Being a man is not a social construct. Being a woman is not a social construct. Being male and female is a gift from God from the very beginning. And this gift, this generous gift of gender difference between men and women is God's good gift. It fits God's good design. It's the way he made us. It's the way he made the world. So here's something we can just underline and put a period after. It's a good thing to be a man. It's a good thing to be a woman. Men and women are created in the image of God and to receive your existence as a gift from God should be remarkably humbling and deeply dignifying. If God made you and you're a woman, you're made in God's image and it's good to be a woman. And if God made you and you're a man, it's good to be a man. You're made in God's image and it's good to be a man. Now, if you look at how cultures navigate what it means to be a man and woman, every culture has their own idols And every cultural group has the way that we twist God's good gifts. But just because people mess up and because of our our idols mess up our view of things doesn't erase the good things themselves. It's good to be a man. It's good to be a woman. And to be created by God as male and female, this, this is God's good, generous gift. And it's part of God's plan to bring God lovers into the world and fill his whole creation with people that love God, walk in his ways, and are a blessing to their neighbors, the, the nations, and the whole creation. 
It's great. It's good to be male and female. It's good to have both. And look at what Jesus says. From the beginning of creation, God did something. From the beginning of creation, God did something. God made men male. God made women female. That's God's thing. And it's a profound gift. Super simple, super clear to be received. We should cherish that. We should be super thankful about it. Now, in our culture today, are people uh, confused about male and female, confused about gender identity? Absolutely. There's a lot of confusion in our culture. So what we should do is take this verse and go out and whack everybody we can with it as soon as possible. Uh, One of my doctrine teachers in college told us uh, a story about the two seed in the spirit, predestinational Baptist church, a real denomination. They broke off from the one seed in the spirit, predestinational Baptist church, because they couldn't agree about one or two seeds. He also told us a story about one time he was driving his son to school and they picked up a neighbor. They were in third grade and his son did not get number seven of the math homework done. He just couldn't figure it out. And when his friend got in the car, he said, hey, uh, I couldn't get number seven. Did you get number seven? And so his friend said, oh yeah, here's how you do it. And he showed him how to work the problem. The right answer is 16. There you go. And so, uh, so he's like, he's so relieved. He finished his homework. His friend helped him. They picked up the next kid and his, his own son leans over and says, did you get number seven? I bet you didn't get number seven, did you? Do you see what a privilege it is to be God's people? With great simplicity and clarity, he tells us who we are. And if we live in a culture, no, since we live in a culture where people are deeply confused about simple and obvious things, we who ourselves have messed up every one of God's good gifts, we should be humble patient, careful, loving people who tell our neighbors and friends and family members and others the truth. The truth is good and it ought to be spoken, but it doesn't need to be used as a weapon. Uh, When you and I are people that know who God is and know his ways, and he's been very simple and very clear, tells exactly who we are, and we receive those gifts from God, and we're living in a culture where there's deep confusion about these things, we have to think about what is the relationship between God's people and the culture around us. And there's lots of views about that. And one of them is like Christ against culture. But it's, it's not the most mature or healthy one. We serve a king who in love gave his life away for the world. And so you and I are invited to do the same. We're to be people who are salty, who preserve culture, we're p- people who are bright and who shine light in the darkness. Absolutely. And do so with a lot of grace and love and patience and kindness and humility because we've been told the truth and it's a gift to know the truth. Uh, last year, uh, last May, I went to, I think it was the 58th uh, mayor's prayer breakfast here in Birmingham. And it was great. I was so glad to go. It was a great event. And I was thankful since I'm from the state of Tennessee, that former governor of Tennessee, Bill Haslam spoke and man, he just did a great job. And one of the things he wrote that he said, I wrote down, and I'm not going to forget it. He said, there are no traffic jams on the way to humility. And d- d- don't we live at a time when there's profound opportunity to contend for what's right and true and do so by the power of God and not any other power. 
What, a, what an opportunity. What a, what a moment to just know simple, clear truth about being male and female. What a, what a time to know what God says. What an opportunity to graciously, kindly, and lovingly contend for the truth, counting on the power of God and no other power. Um, some of us will have positions in uh, outside of the church where uh, we have authority and roles and we might need to use them to protect the weak and to protect the vulnerable. And if so, we must use that power and those opportunities for sure. Have to steward those to protect people who are wounded by confusion and evil. Secondly, I want you to see with me the profound gift of permanence. The existence of male and female, that's God's generous gift of difference. Now, the profound gift of permanence is right there in the next verse. Verse 6, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, by the way, that's Genesis 1, 27. Jesus went back behind Deuteronomy to Genesis 1. Now here's Genesis 2, 24, verse 7. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's Genesis 2, 24. Uh, here's the profound gift of permanence. Marriage is God's very good thing. And when a man marries a woman, that fits God's creation design. And when that happens, here's what Jesus says, and it said in other places in the Bible, something metaphysical happens. When a man marries a woman, the two become one. There's an ontological change. They're no longer two, but now they're one. In other words, God ties them together into a covenanted relationship that should not be altered. God ties it together. It's God's action. Uh, the generous gift is God's gift of male and female. That's God's action. God created us male and female. And now we're looking at this profound gift of God that he makes us something new. Look at the language. Jesus says, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. I love this line. I get to say it in wedding ceremonies all the time. And when I was doing my, my favorite weddings about 14 years ago, uh, it was so exciting. And I love this couple. And Christy and I spent a ton, ton of time, a ton of time with them. And at the end of their wedding, I said, what God has, and it was about to go to the reception, by the way, a big party, you know, what God has joined together, let no man celebrate. Well, that wasn't the right word. <laughs> what God has joined together, let no one separate. Who are we to untie what God has tied together? Who are we to loosen what God has bound? Who, who are we to break what God has made into one thing? Who are we? Who are we to tear at the artwork of the creator God? It's not our role. It's not our privilege. It's not our place. Uh, Christy and I do a lot of premarital counseling and this is, this is not change, lots of change about weddings in the last 25 years, but here's something that hasn't changed and, and we run into it often. And a lot of times people who are kind of connected to the church come to the pastor for, to do a wedding because they like church buildings. And, um, and sometimes you get this from people who've been in the church like for a long, long time. Sometimes you get people who sometimes come to church and here's, here's the bottom line. Uh, people think that Probably a pastor should marry us. That sounds good and religious. And because you know why? We want God's blessing on our marriage. In other words, we know what marriage is. We know what our goals for marriage are. We have our own plan. We have our own goals. Uh, surely you're going to adore me and I'll probably be nice to you sometimes. And 
Here's what we want. We want God to sprinkle some special heavenly dust on our marriage. I wonder how many of us got married under those terms in our minds. Please hear hear this. Marriage is awesome. It's God's thing. We didn't invent it. He did. And when you get married, you're entering into something that God created and you're participating in his ways of being in the world. God won't fit in your marriage. Your marriage is the small thing. He's the infinite thing. But you can fit your marriage into who God says you are and what he says about marriage. It's very different. God will not fit in your little bitty marriage, but you must fit the meaning of your marriage in terms of what God says about you and marriage and his plan for your children and the generations, his world, his plans. What a profound gift the permanence of marriage is. We shouldn't untie what God has tied together. And all that so far has been spoken in public. Because Jesus is teaching, the Pharisees come up and they try to like put a, put a test to him. Let's make sure you got the right position here, Jesus. But then what happens next is uh, Jesus is with the disciples in a private home. And the disciples are like, mm, can we go back over that one? Because <laughs> that, Jesus, when you went back and talked about marriage... And you didn't stop at Deuteronomy, but went behind the fall back to creation itself. That kind of made us feel like marriage might be kind of permanent. And like, what if it's going really bad? What if it's not working? What about then, Jesus? And that's what the disciples were doing. The disciples wanted to get a little more clarity. You know why? They lived in our world. They lived in a broken world where things don't always feel right, where sometimes things are really difficult and really painful. You know who Billy Graham was, right? Billy Graham was the most famous evangelist of the 20th century. And one time they interviewed Ruth Graham and they just, you know, asked him all kinds of questions. He said all kinds of great things. And they they said, hey, you know, you've been married to this famous evangelist. Have you ever thought about marriage? And she said, no, no, no. And all these years, I've never, never thought about marriage. I've considered murder a few times but never divorce. Now, why would such a joke resonate with us? Because we know that we're broken, sinful people married to broken, sinful people. When Jesus takes us back to the creation, it's not because he doesn't know the fall happened. Jesus came to hang on the cross in the place of rebellious sinners who will trust in him. He knows the falls happened. He knows sin is everywhere. He's already taught our hearts are full, a cesspool of selfish rebellion. He knows things are not the way they're supposed to be. That's why he's come. So how in the world can he refer back to the creation Is he skipping over the hardness of heart? No, no, no. He knows he's come to bring a kingdom that will renew and restore all things that he is the king who will make the things the way they're supposed to be. So just for a minute, let's look at the grief of the stony heartedness and then go on to the gift of hope. Just quickly on the grief of having a stony heart. Jesus told the Pharisees, hey, you're taking a provision from Deuteronomy 24 God's addressing a situation where hearts were hardened. He's trying to limit damage. Don't turn that into a pathway to easy divorce, to live out your own selfish way. No, that's a hardness of heart issue. And that's verse 10. 
And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. Why are the disciples wanting to kind of like, hey, let's make sure we understand you here, Jesus, because they're men living in a fallen world. We don't have to skip over that or ignore that. If you're completely unaware that marriage is really hard, you might want to ask your spouse to describe it for you. Marriage is difficult. Marriage is hard because it's two sinners in a very intimate relationship. And we need the grace of God to live out his design. Don't try this alone. But look with me at the gift of hope. How can Jesus skip over Deuteronomy 24 and take us back to God's original purposes in Genesis 1 and 2? It's because his grace is so good and so powerful. He is the beginning. He's bringing the new creation, the way things always will be. He's inaugurating that. and He's inviting us to live by faith in his promised grace to renew and restore and to make things the way they're supposed to be. So years ago, I was meeting with a, a couple, I'm going to call them Berto and Betty. That, those were not their names. Um, I, was meeting with, uh, I was meeting with Betty for a little while as a pastor. And she and Berto had been divorced for a few years. And he was a, a religious professional, I'll call him that. And he had he'd committed adultery a few times. And they were divorced and, and she was utterly free to be divorced from him. And uh, it, was a, it, was a, it was a really sad situation, but uh, he was beginning to live out a real path of repentance. And he had really turned, and, and she was free to remarry, but she hadn't remarried. And so he began to repent, and he began to pursue her as a friend, as a brother in Christ. And then you could see they were headed back toward getting married again. And you were seeing the grace of God unfold in their lives. And eventually... Uh, they asked me to perform their second wedding, getting remarried, uh, celebrating God's grace in their life. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. And the husband, Berto, Berto and Betty, uh, Berto sent me this email describing where I would come and do the wedding. And because I'm so detailed, I didn't read anything except for the date. So I was like, okay, good. I know uh, what, ti- what day it is and what time to show up. But then the, the morning of the wedding, I was like, yeah, where am I going exactly? And I looked it up and it was wonderful. There were going to be eight of us all in their home. Uh, they had, uh, it was those two, their, their two sons, their one spouse, one um, fiance, Chrissy and me, eight of, us at all, eight of us together in their home. And we looked back at that email and the wedding was in their home. And he was moving them into a neighborhood called Reunion. And I performed their marriage, their remarriage under the grace of God on the corner, not making it up, of Homecoming and Restoration Street. Now, I made up the names Berto and Betty, but I didn't make up anything else. By the grace of God, their very broken marriage was putting, being put back together in Reunion neighborhood on the corner of homecoming and restoration. Why? Because God's grace is really big and really, really powerful. Are you living in a very, very difficult marriage? Please get help. Please tell safe people. Please ask for prayer and support. Please come to your church and lean into the help that God offers you. 
please don't fight that fight on your own, isolated without the help that God offers you. From verses 10 through 12, when people break the covenant of marriage, they are not simply breaking a human agreement. They're separating what God has joined together. But I got to say one thing. It's not here in Mark 10, but in the parallel passage in Mark 19 and also in 1 Corinthians 7, there are some cases where divorce is allowable. Not necessarily recommended, never commanded in the Bible, but there are instances and one of those is adultery and one of those is desertion by an unbelieving spouse. And, And Very difficult situations have to be looked at very carefully based on the simple and clear things that God says. And I bet everyone in this room from one direction or another can point to some of the pain and sorrow associated with a really unhealthy marriage or uh, the pain of divorce and how it's impacted our families. The grace of God is big enough and strong enough to bind up wounds, to reconcile that which appeared to be unreconcilable, to heal and restore, to give strength and grace. We need the grace of God. God loves us and he doesn't give us his his rules to beat us up or to hold us under buckets of shame, but to renew us and restore us and to invite us to life. Jesus can skip over Deuteronomy 24, not ignoring the fall and take us back to God's original purposes because his kingdom is a kingdom of grace and hope and forgiveness and restoration. And if we need his strength, and we do, to live in our marriages as they are, he offers himself to us in his word and at the table. So let's pray and meet him there. Oh, Lord Jesus, how thankful we are that you are the one true perfect husband. And we, your bride, the church, we look forward to your return to bring us to your great feast. And today we need your grace and your strength. So help us now as we come to you by faith to receive your promised graces at your table. Amen.